Welcome to our Frontline City Church podcast. This message will activate and inspire you in the supernatural love of God to find your purpose and reach your destiny through Christ. So we're reading from Exodus 3 about what happened to Moses. And I believe that the moment you say yes to Jesus, this is part of your inheritance. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that the bush was on fire and did not burn up. So Moses thought, I'll go over and see this strange sight, why this bush does not burn up. You see, he was just minding his own business, doing his own thing. And suddenly God put something there to say to him, hey, I want your attention. I want to do something in your life. And I believe that is what God is doing today in many people. He's doing things to get your attention. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And so you can put your own name in there. God just saying to you, don't come any closer. God said, take off your sandals for the place where you're standing is holy ground. The moment there's a place where God speaks to you, that place changes. That place becomes holy, not because it was holy before, but because of the encounter. And that's exactly what I'm trusting God for this very place that we will call it holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Anybody who doubts that God is a multi-generational God can just go right there and see how God says, I'm working through multi-generations. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. And most of us, when God starts calling our name, we want to run. We want to hide away. We want to say, how do I escape this call? How do I get away from what God is doing here? The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt, in South Africa, in Honeydew, in Johannesburg. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. Never, ever, ever think that God is not concerned about whatever you're suffering from. Whatever you're going through, God says, I'm aware of it. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. I've heard them be in a situation where they need help, and I want to step in. And I've chosen you to make a difference. I've chosen you to make a difference. So I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, than the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Pezites, Hevites, and Jebusites. So the home of other people, let's just say that. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I've seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. That's the end of the sentence. So now Go. Short sentence. But that is the instruction of God for each one of us. When we pick that up, when we have that encounter with God, 99%, I was 16 years old when I, on the sand dune between George and Mossel Bay in the Southern Cape, 
I sat down and I said, God, if you're real, just show yourself to me. And he said, now go. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. And here is the qualification of everyone who is called to the Lord. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? If you think you are qualified to do what God has called you, you're not called. When you get to that place, who am I? I can't do what you've called to me. That is the most conviction that I have that you are called. When you feel you're inadequate, when you feel that you're not good enough, when you feel there's others that can do it better, that's when you know that you're called. And God said, I will be with you. That's all you need to know. If you are sent, you just need those four words, five words, I will be with you. If you want to do anything in the business of Christianity, you just need that thing. I will be with you. And this will be a sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you've brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. So today is for me like a confirmation of the calling of God. Because we stood here and we were worshiping God. And that's how you know that you're calling. When you take a group of people to a place of worship, be it in home cell, be it in church, be it in any place, when you are taking people into the presence of God, then you'll know that God is busy in your life and God is busy taking you somewhere. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me. And they ask me, what's his name? Then what shall I tell him? So the Israelites has been so much in trouble that they don't even anymore know who their God's name is. They have been so oppressed and so pushed down in everything that's holy to them that they didn't know. And God said to them, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. And God is doing that to each one of us today. And specifically to those being ordained, but also as a grouping, as a church, and as an individual. God is saying, I have sent you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelite, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name you shall call me from generation to generation. So again... Um, he says, go and assemble them. I've called them. I've watched over you and I've seen what has been done to you in Egypt. Church, don't ever think you're alone. Don't ever think you're forgotten. Don't ever think God doesn't understand. God says, I've watched over you and I've seen what has been done to you in Egypt. Earlier on, he said, I've heard your cry. God is watching and listening to his people all the time. And I have promised to bring you up out of your misery in Egypt into the land of the Canaanites, Hivites, Perizzites, Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. So we sing the song Crossover, that we want to cross out of this place of struggle and trouble and heaviness and slavery into another place. But so often we don't move in it. 
God is saying, I've heard your cry. I want to take you through. And for every single one situation, there is a Moses. God has appointed somebody to lead you out of your trouble. He's appointed somebody to take you to another place. But just like Moses said, how are the people going to believe that I was sent? How are they going to respond to my sending? You see, so often we want God to save us, but we reject the Moses that he has put in our place. Put into Luke 4, verse 16 to 19. This is Jesus himself speaking. And this is also, I believe, a word that is for every Christian. I'll take it a little bit more personal just now. But these first two words about how Moses was sent and what Jesus says in the next couple of words is for every Christian. Uh, he went to Nazareth, verse 16 of Luke 4, where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This is what Jesus says is the reason he came to earth. Because the Spirit of God is upon him to set people free, to make the blind see, to declare that this is the year that God is going to touch them, to declare that things are going to change. Now when Jesus goes up to heaven and we become his representatives, automatically all of that is our responsibility. The same spirit that was on Jesus is in us, according to the Bible. So then he says, the spirit is upon me. Why? To change people's lives, to set people free, to bring healing, to bring change. And so every single Christian who believes that Jesus is Lord, like mom just led us in that prayer, then we have to understand that we are all called. We are all positioned to make a change. We don't just come to church to fill up our petrol for ourselves to be survived, to, to survive. We come in here to be imparted on, to have an effect on our community, an effect on our family and everybody around us. It is not only about us. Yes, God has heard our cry. Yes, he has changed things for us, but he's done it for the sake of all those around us, for the sake of everyone. I want to say to you, church, if you've said yes to Jesus, that moment there is a calling on your life. That moment you've been called to a function. It's not some are called and some are not called. Yes, some are ordained and others are not ordained. Some have been recognized that they're operating in a ministry and gets the blessing of God for that. But all of us should be striving towards it. All of us should be pushing in to get to that place where we are changing our community. You don't have to resign your job and go full time to have an effect. You don't have to leave what is important to you to have an effect. There's many people sitting in this room who works a full-time job, but are still having a massive influence in many places. So I'm not saying everybody who's got a calling must resign their job and become a full-time pastor. 
But I'm saying everybody has got to step up to the plate and find their role within Christ. Now I want to minister a little bit more specifically to those who are being ordained, for those who are being recognized. Esther 4, verse 12 to 16. When they told Mordecai what Esther had said, Mordecai sent her this message. Don't think that just because you live in the king's house, you're the one Jew who will get out of this alive. If you persist in staying silent at a time like this, help and deliverance will arrive for the Jews from somewhere place else. So we cannot keep silent. We cannot hold back. Who knows? Maybe you were made queen for just such a time as this. And I believe that we're still going into difficult times. I believe there's going to be challenges for us as Christians. I believe there's going to be challenges in South Africa that is not going to get easier. And in the more difficult times, we need more people that stand up and saying, I've been called and I've been counted and I have been set aside to make a change. Maybe your life has brought you to this point for a reason. Maybe your life has taken you wherever you are for this, just such a time as this. And now let's talk about some of the more qualifications of stepping up into the position. Esther sent back her answer to Mordecai, go and get all the Jews living in Sot together. Fast for me. Don't eat or drink for three days, either day or night. I and my maids will fast with you. If you do this, I'll go to the king even though it's forbidden. If I die, I die. You see, if it's going to cost me everything, it's okay. I believe God has set me aside to do something, and I've counted the cost. If I die, I die. If nobody pitches up, I carry on. If nobody listens, I'll carry on. Because I know the instruction, and I understand my responsibility. So there is a place when you stand up that it might cost you everything. But she came to the place where she said, if I die, I die. If nothing works out, I still am willing to step into what God has for me. And that is where your calling, you've started working with it. You don't just the moment you get saved, get to that place. But as you work out with God, everything that you value, everything that stands in your way, everything that makes you, you eventually goes on the altar. Everything eventually God calls you and says, okay, lay that down. Lay that down. Lay that down. There's a consistent process of laying down. And this, if I die, I die, becomes your motto, not what you say once off because it's cost you everything it has stepped in next week mom and i are celebrating 20 years in ministry and if you didn't die already the day that you get called those things will stumble you and make you fall on your face and you'll have to go to retract a bit and start again and saying okay uh, did i really count the cost no well um everything God but accept this everything God but for a long time my Saturdays 
okay, I worked the whole week, and then on Sundays I'm here. But please, my Saturdays belong to me. Don't anybody ask anything of me on a Saturday, because it's mine. It belongs to me. And then God says, oh, do you really, is it really yours? And I'm not saying that God is against rest. God's plan is rest. But when that rest becomes the idol that uh, upsets you if somebody phones you on a Saturday or upsets you if this happens, hey, people die, they mustn't die on a Saturday because that will upset my day, you know? (laughs) No, I'm joking. But you know what I mean is that things that we set aside, then God comes and knocks and says, oh, that little box that you've said I can't touch, let me talk to you about that box. Then everything else blurs out. And God has got his finger on that box, and he knocks on it. And you try and keep him away from it. Say, God, just stay there. Don't fiddle with this that's important for me. Sport. Mom mentioned fishing. When church interferes with fishing. If I die, I die. It's more than just death as in death, but in a daily basis, dying to things that are important to you is the things that truly test your calling. I've seen many people that are extremely anointed, but this word trips them up. Extremely gifted, extreme ability, but they can't get to this place. They can't get to the place where the calling rises up over everything, where the calling consumes you to the place that nothing else matters. Unfortunately, you can't step into the mantle of the calling half-heartedly. Okay, I'll be a pastor on Sundays. I tried that one. The rest of the week, I'm a businessman. I don't don't bother me. I'll I'll set the blocks. These days are for business, and those days are for church. And they mustn't touch each other, and they mustn't come close to each other. It's not in that word of if I die, I die. If it costs me everything, then I'll step into it. And that's a process that I've watched over time when people pay the price for the calling. Turn with me to Luke 9. This is all things that happened to Jesus. On the road, someone asked if he could go along. I'll go with you wherever, he said. Jesus said, are you ready to rough it? We're not staying in the best inns, you know. <laughs> Listen to. I'm going to pick on Elmerie now because we're ordaining her for now. The day when the prophet said that this church will reach out into Africa, she nearly resigned the church because she said, I don't want to go rough it. In, I want to stay in the best inns. And now what happens? She loves roughing it more than anybody here. She loves getting out there, getting her hands dirty, getting involved in the things of God. So when God said to them, are you ready to rough it? We're not staying in the best inn. Yet to another, Jesus said, follow me. He said, certainly, but first excuse me for a couple of days because I have to make arrangements for my father's funeral. Jesus refused. First things first, your business is life, not death, and life is urgent. 
announce God's kingdom. So how much more serious of an excuse would you get for not coming to church? It's your dad's funeral. (laughs) Jesus says, I'm refusing that. That's not good enough. So whatever other excuse we're coming up with, it must be worse than that. So I think this was more to make a point than saying don't go to your dad's funeral. But the point comes across that nothing comes in the way of what God is saying. Then another said, I'm ready to follow you, Master. But first excuse me while I get things straightened out at home. Jesus said, no procrastination. No backward looks. You can't put God's kingdom off till tomorrow. Seize the day. (laughs) Did you know this is in your Bible, Connor? (laughs) You see, there's a cost to the calling. There's a cost to stepping under the mantle. There's a process that takes us to a place. The well-known place, the way that that was said in Luke 9, verse 62, in the New King James said, No one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. You have to lay down and look ahead of you. Focus on where God is taking you. Make a mark in front of you and saying, that's where I'm going, and I'm not going to be distracted. I think I told this last week, but I'll say it again. As a young child, my grandfather had a farm, and I was five or six years old, and he'd allow me to sit on the tractor and drive the tractor. But my grandfather wasn't shy in giving me a backhand if the plow lines looked like that. He said, get your eye on a tree or something in front of you and keep straight going at it. Don't look left or right because wherever you look is where you're going to drive. And I don't want my millies to look like somebody was drunk when they were planted. I want them in straight lines. I still admire when I drive down through the free state when you see those millie lines. They're straight like this. You can see far in between the lines. And I know somebody had to focus on that. That didn't happen by itself. That didn't just the millies landed up straight by themselves, but somebody was meticulous. Somebody put their mind to it. Somebody made sure nothing distracts them while they were planting. Now, if farmers can take that much care about planting millies, how much more should we about our calling? Sure. In Jude 17, Jude pays for the people. Praise for the people of God. But dear friends, remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. They said to you, in the last times there will be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires. These are the people who divide you, who follow mere natural instincts, and do not have the Spirit. You can't say, I've got the Spirit of God, and be all ruled by your natural instincts. Got a bit quiet here. But you, dear friends, by building yourself up in your most holy faith and by praying in the Holy Spirit. So, what he's saying is, how do you survive all the distractions? How do you survive the things that wants to pull you off, that wants to trip you up? He says, you're praying in faith and you're praying in the Holy Spirit. 
Then people ask me, well, how come do I need to pray in the Spirit? Let's read that again, verse 20. But you, dear friends, by building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. Be merciful to those who doubt. If you're in a calling of God, there's going to be some who doesn't feel the same way as you, some who doesn't see it the same side as you, some who hasn't stepped into that faith as you have. Be merciful to them. That's what the instruction is. Save others by snatching them from the fire. To others, show mercy mixed with fear. In other words, you cannot only show mercy. You need to sometimes say, hey, sort this out in your life. Deal with this in your life. Because God's on a process. Hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. And this is the biggest challenge of pastors. To get across that we hate the sin, but we love the person. That we are showing mercy to the person, but not showing any mercy to the spirit that's leading to the trouble. That's the greatest challenge to get that right. Because you come with correction in love, but people see it that you're attacking them and you're saying, I want to snatch you out of the fire. Listen to what it says there in um, the beginning of verse 23. Save others by snatching them from the, other, from the fire. So as somebody who is called of God, that's your job is to snatch people out of the fire of hell. And you can't always do it by being nice. You must have mercy, but still be clear and saying, this is trouble. <laughs> hey, Lux? <laughs> Hating even the clothing stained by corrupted fish. In verse 24, and I'm going to close with this scripture. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling. This is where perseverance comes in. We have a God, because what it seems like as we spoke now, it's nearly impossible for any of us to make it. The calling is just too big. I just can't st get up to the standard. I'm not good enough. I still fall for stuff that I don't, shouldn't fall for. Yeah. Is that only me or is the calling, if we read about the calling, it gets a bit too big. Please, <laughs> looks like it's only me. <laughs> to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. There is a God and a spirit that says, I am there to hold up your hand, to catch you when you're falling, to even, Michael, when the scaffolding falls down, you can still stand. <laughs> the one day you were working here and the scaffolding collapsed and Michael just rode down the scaffolding and was still standing. And uh, there is a God that keeps us up even when everything that we rely on falls away under our feet. When we feel like everything is not even worth living for. When we feel like running so far away from God that there's nothing to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. Oh, God is busy doing something inside of you that is a constant process 
of dealing with whatever faults are inside of you, but not letting you become so sour and so difficult to live with and so um, focused on the things of God that you've got no joy. God says, I'm doing that very thing of dealing with your heart, the faults that you have, while you have joy. Some people have believed that if we have to give up on things onto the altar, that our joy is stolen. That it's going to cost us everything, and we have to become this something unnatural, something that is just heavy and difficult. No. God says, I'm able to keep you without fault, but still with joy. It's the way I would interpret it. That you still have fun. You still have jokes. Man, we worked hard in this place, but... Michael laughed and made fun, and Vincent made sure that we were laughing, and the people were putting in the effort, but I believe we had great times, great moments. I believe that in discipling, it's not only about standing in a church and talking to a group, but when Jesus sat down with his disciples, and they ate together, and they joked together, and something was imparted that was nearly, that's the portions they wrote down. More than what they wrote down is big speeches to the 5,000. What the disciples remembered when they had to record it was the one-on-one -on -one conversations. Those moments where God is just there for you and he's opening up what the Spirit is doing. And we're going to see it in Frontline, where God is just going to do in our small home cell groups and in our intimate places just going to allow the Spirit of God to move in a way. But I'll close with this. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. The minister. We hope that you enjoyed today's message. Our services are streamed live on our Facebook page every Sunday morning at 9.30. For more information and resources, please go to our website www.frontlinecitychurch.co.za or look us up on Facebook, Instagram and YouTube.